0: Sometimes I'll come downstairs and, you know, my wife will be sitting there and I'll be like running out to get ready to do something, whether it's yard work or run to the store or maybe on a Saturday morning. And I'll come downstairs and she'll just say, you can't go out like that. And I'll have this moment of like, why? What are you talking about? And she's like, well, because you look crazy. And so I'll go back upstairs and I'll go to our bathroom and I'll look in the mirror. And then sure enough, like my hair, I don't know what it does in the night. But man, no matter what I try to do to it, you know, if I put water on it or try to put gel on it, unless I have taken a shower and gone through the whole process, my hair just looks absolutely insane. And in fact, half the time, if you see me walking around town and I've just got a hat on, like that's the reason, because I don't want to embarrass my family, (laughs) right? But I mean, can you imagine going through that process of, of going and looking into the mirror and seeing all those different imperfections and all those different little things that maybe need to be adjusted or tweaked so that you're presentable when you walk out. And all of a sudden, just walking away from that mirror and thinking, "Ah, I'm good to go, and then just heading out on your way. I mean, some people with a lot of self-confidence can just do that on a daily basis, and good for them. But the Scripture uses this as an example for us. uses the example as someone who looks into the Word of God and then doesn't change their life. And sadly, that mindset and that thought process is running rampant in our culture today. You know, there is this movement rolling through the church uh, called the Hyper Grace Movement. And the hyper-grace movement basically says that, listen, all you need is grace, and all you need is to believe, and then you're good to go. And it's one of those things, you hear that, and on the surface, it sounds so good. I mean, we've preached before that we are saved by grace through faith. We are not justified by works, lest no man can boast. And, And we believe that to be a truth of the gospel. But the hyper-grace movement takes this to a step that God never intended it to go. Because what they believe and what they say is, is that all you need is grace, all you need is belief, and how you live your daily life makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. See, the bible teaches that yes all we need is grace and yes all we need is faith we just need to believe we are saved by grace through faith but then the bible teaches that when that happens and when that takes place when you believe and trust in jesus christ as your savior something inside you changes something inside you is transformed And that when you come to Christ, you are no longer the same creature that you were before. In fact, the scripture says that he has made in us a new creation. The scripture says that he has removed the heart of stone from within us and replaced it with a heart of flesh. The scripture says that we take off the old self and we put on the new self. Simply put, the gospel is transforming. And the gospel is transforming every single time. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you wake up after you give your life to Christ and you're just this perfect being all of a sudden. It would be nice if it worked that way, but that's not the case. What it does mean is that when we come to Christ Jesus, we begin the lifelong process of sanctification. And as we come to Christ and as we engage with his word, and we humble ourselves in prayer, we are changed and transformed for the better. We can't simply live the same lives we used to live. And we see that laid out for us here in James chapter 1. Today we're looking at verses 19 through 27. And what we're going to see as we look in this passage is that we are radically changed and transformed in so many ways. We see as we begin the passage in verse 19, it says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, first and foremost, we are transformed and we are changed by the word of God. The scripture here lays out in the book of James saying that that we need to put off anger and we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, what James is saying here is that if you are at the will of your emotions and at the whims of your feelings in a moment or an instant, and you lash out in anger, anytime someone bothers you, anytime someone cuts you off in traffic, anytime someone does anything that you don't approve of, all of a sudden your blood just begins to boil and you begin to lash out. That doesn't produce the righteousness of God in anyone. doesn't produce righteousness in God in you, first and foremost, because you're not acting in a godly way. You're enslaved to your emotions. You're enslaved to the feelings of a moment but you know what? It doesn't create righteousness in other people, too. You know, a lot of times we have this mindset and we think that if we just yell loud enough, our point's going to get across. That if we just rant and rave and scream enough that whoever we're ranting and raving and screaming at, that they're suddenly going to change their ways and they're going to be better people all because we showed up and blew our top. But that's not the case. Our yelling and our anger does not produce righteousness in anyone. So what does produce righteousness? What does produce the change in our lives as we live for Christ? It says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. James writes here that if we are to be changed and we are to be transformed by the gospel, it comes from meekly and humbly receiving the word of God. Now, that's a really important condition that we need to be in in order to receive God's word. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but God's word says a lot of stuff that we as human beings just don't like. You look at the very core of the gospel itself. The very core of the gospel is the fact that we are sinners in desperate need of a savior. The gospel proclaims that we cannot save ourselves no matter what we do, no matter what we think, no matter what actions we take, we are utterly lost. And it is Christ Jesus who has saved us. So we need to humble ourselves to the truth we find in God's word. And we need to come to Jesus Christ and say, there's nothing that I have in my hands. There's nothing that I bring to the cross that earns me merit and earns me favor. It is solely by the grace of God that I am saved. And then after we do that, after we come to Christ, after we believe, after we have faith, well, then we continue to read in God's word. And that word that has been implanted in us by the Holy Spirit, the word that comes to us as we read the scriptures, we have to come to it with meekness and humility because we need to submit to the word of God. I have conversations with people all the time, and they say things like, yeah, I know that the Bible says this, but what about this situation? Well, I know the Bible says this in Scripture, but my situation's pretty unique, so don't you think there's like an exception, or don't you think there's kind of a loophole that we can wiggle through here or anything like that? And that's just not the case. When we read God's Word, we submit to God's Word. We place the word of God as an authority over our lives, and we humbly follow it. And in doing so, we are changed. We are transformed. We are made to be more like Christ. And so the word of God changes us and transforms us, but there's a specific way that the word of God transforms us. See, we are transformed and changed through careful inspection. And we see that listed in the next part of the scripture. It says in verse 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James here writes about an instance and an occurrence that most of us have on almost a daily basis. We get up and we get ready to head out into the world and we look into the mirror. And the reason we look into the mirror isn't so that we can just gawk at how good we are and how great we look and how you know, perfect and restful of a night's sleep we got the night before. That's not the reason mirrors exist. The reason mirrors exist is so that we can stand in front of it and we can say all of the things that have gone wrong in the night. The reason that mirrors exist is so that we can stand there and we can say, wow, there's a lot of mess sitting in front of me right now and I need to clean some of this up. Well, the word of God has the same function in our lives. See, we believe and we uphold the truth that this book contains everything that God wants us to know about everything that he deems important. Are there pieces of knowledge and pieces of information that you can gain outside of the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. There's a wealth of knowledge that you can find in the world. There's a wealth of information that you can find in the world. But what concerns us eternally, what concerns the salvation of our souls, what concerns our honor and praise and glory that we give to God, it's all found right here. We don't need to move beyond it. And we certainly don't need to ignore it as we live out our daily lives. And what we do is we come to the word of God and we see all kinds of information contained in therein. God has told us how he is to be worshipped in his word. God has told us how we are to live within our marriages in his word. God has told us how we are to raise our children in his word. God has told us how to deal with conflict God has told us how we are to establish the church. God has given us the truth of the gospel. God has told us how we are to to establish churches and evangelize all around the world. He's told us all of those things. He's also told us the depth of our sin. He's also told us things in our lives that ought not to be there. And as we come to the word of God, what we are doing is we are holding a mirror up our hearts and as we hold the mirror of the word of god up to our hearts it reveals all kinds of things it reveals that we are prideful it reveals that we are selfish it reveals misconceptions we have about who god is and what god has done it reveals all kinds of truth that at many times and in many ways is extremely uncomfortable And we have a choice to make when we see that kind of truth revealed in God's word. We can ignore it and we can continue on the way we've been doing. Just thinking that we're doing good enough on our own. And yeah, God's word said that, but it's not really anything I need to pay attention to. Or it's not an issue that's, you know, really important for salvation specifically. So we can just kind of set it aside and ignore it. Or we can do what James tells us to do. Because see, what James tells us to do is that we are not to be simply people who see. We are not to be people who, who simply hear the word and then go away from this place and ignore it. But the scripture here says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." So do you understand that God our Father loves us enough that he's told us the most important things in the universe? He's told us everything we need to know, and he expects us to read it, digest it, understand it, and then apply it to our lives on a daily basis. And in doing so, we'll be blessed. Now, this is not some prosperity gospel promise that's made in the scripture. It's not the idea of, you know, if you just follow X, Y, Z in the Bible, suddenly you're going to get rich. Or if you follow X, Y, Z in the Bible, suddenly you're going to be healed of a physical ailment or a disease. Those aren't the promises of Scripture. But what we see here is general wisdom literature given to us in the New Testament. If you read the Bible and you live out its practices and you do everything the Bible says to do, you'll be blessed. And the things that you do. Why? Because the God who gave us these commands is good. The God who gave us these commands is wise. The God who gave us these commands loves us and cares for us and wants us to be prosperous in our lives. So he's given us the map and shown us, look, this is how you live and this is how you serve me. Just one example of how this is true. You think of the way that, that our, our culture currently in this time and in this day treats the relationships between men and women. You think of what is involved in dating culture. You think of what is involved in the secular world regarding the idea of commitment and marriage. Now, ask yourself the question, if every single person from this moment forward, just in that one aspect of their life, lived in perfect submission to the word of God, what would the result be? We would see diseases wiped off the map. Abortion would disappear. You'd have more children growing up in homes with parents who love them and care for them and therefore have a launch pad to go off and do great things in their life. So many problems would be fixed if we would submit to God's word in this one area of life, let alone every area of life. See, this is what it means when the Bible says, if you submit yourselves to these things, you'll be blessed in all you do. Because the God who gave us the commands is good, and the God who gave us the commands is wise. It's it's like when we talk to our kids about the rules that we have in our house. You know, our, our kids like snacks all the time, especially Lily. She's constantly asking for food. And what do you think the food she wants is? She wants Cheez-Its, and she wants fruit snacks, and she wants cheese sticks. And man, if we were just to like give her those things every day, all day, she would be so happy. She would also get very sick. And so because we love her, we put those constraints on her. Because we care about her, we make her eat her vegetables. Because we want to see her grow and be healthy, we don't let her just eat junk all the time. And it's the same thing that's true with the word of God. He doesn't put restrictions on our lives because he wants us to be miserable and sad and bummed out all the time. No, he does that because he loves us and he cares for us. And as we go through that process of looking into God's word, holding the mirror up to our hearts and then acting accordingly, it has a change and it has an effect on the way we live day to day. It transforms and changes the very actions that we take. Because look how James finishes up this section of the scripture. He says in verse 26, If anyone thinks thinks he is religious, and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So understand what James is saying here. He says, if you deem yourself to be a religious person, you go to church, you go to Sunday school, you read your Bible, you pray, you do all the stuff you're supposed to do, but you don't bridle your tongue, you lash out at people in a moment of anger, you sit there and you say exactly what you wanna say, when you wanna say it, no matter the effect it has on the people around you, If that's what your life is characterized by, James says, your religion is worthless. What's the worth of our faith? Why is it that we engage in this thing we call Christianity? Well, it's because, as Paul wrote, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What we believe in our religion is the thing that saves our soul. Our faith and trust in Jesus Christ cleanses us of our sin, transforms us, and changes us. And what we see James saying here is, man, if your religion can't even bridle your tongue, if your religion doesn't even have the transforming power enough so that you watch what you say and you take every thought captive and you're doing those things the Bible calls us to do, if your religion can't even do that, what makes you think it can save you? because the gospel transforms us and changes us. So what does true religion look like? What is a sincere faith? What does a born again person do in their lives? The scripture tells us, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's the effect that real saving faith has on an individual. And there's two things at play here. Number one, it talks about the idea of visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. And really what that means for us is that our saving faith should result in the kind of people we become so that we actually care about those that are around us. That we see people who are suffering, we see people who are hurting, and we see people who are in pain, and we do something about it. We know that there are people in our midst who are suffering in some way, and as saved people, it should gnaw at our heart to a degree that, man, we can't just sit there and let that be. Especially when it happens to those who are within the family of faith. To those of us who are within the church together, we should take care of one another. And in order to do that, it means that you've got to look beyond yourself to those that are around you. It means that you've got to care for other people more than you care about yourself. And you've got to be looking out for the well-being of others more so than you're worried about your own well-being. Who does that sound a lot like? It sounds a lot like Jesus, who while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, we sang about it today, that Him knowing it was for our salvation, he did not despise the cross. And the scripture says that it was for the joy set before him that he was willing to endure the cross, and that joy is the salvation of our soul. Christ wanted us saved, so he saved us, and he endured a great price and paid a high penalty so that we could be saved. He died in our place, And just like orphans and widows in their affliction, so we were in our sin, desperately in need of someone to come and resolve our situation. And Jesus stepped into our mess and fixed it. And as Christians who believe in Christ, we're called to do the same for other people. We are called to step into other people's mess and fix it. And there's a lot of excuses that we bring up when that happens. You know, people come into the church seeking help and there's always the conversation I'll have with people. They'll say, well, you know, they're, they're probably just trying to scam the church. They're probably just trying to get money from the church and, and they probably don't really need it. They probably hit every single church in town with the same sob story and collected their rent for this month five or six times. And, you know, we need to be careful about that. And there is something to having wisdom and there is something to having some prudence when you're dealing with those situations. But can I tell you something? As Christians who are doing the work of God, sometimes we're going to be taken advantage of, and we just need to be okay with that. We need to understand that we would rather be on the side of compassion, helping those in need, and following this principle of visiting orphans and widows in their affliction than we would want to be on the side of those who would withhold God's grace and withhold God's provision because we think we know better. We've got to be okay with that. And see, that means that we're looking out for others before we're looking out for ourselves. True saving faith results in that kind of heart. And the second thing that James talks about at the end of this passage, it says that they keep, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, that's a really funny phrase, to be unstained from the world. If we look at the way the Bible calls us to live, and we look at the way that the world lives every single day, the two things are not compatible. You cannot be a Christian and live the same way our culture does. You just can't do it. And because we are Christians, and because we believe in Christ, because we have been born again, there is a deep desire we have to be unstained from this world. And you know what? Sometimes that means that relationships get severed because, man, this relationship is harmful to my faith and I'm not going to have that in my life. So I'm sorry, but I can't associate with you anymore because my God is more important to me and my love for Christ is greater than my love for you. Sometimes that means that there are places as Christians that we just don't go. Sometimes as Christians, that means that there are certain apps that we just don't have on our phone. Because we know and we understand that those things are going to lead us away from God. They're going to hinder our service of Christ. And the world looks at that and says, it's absolutely silly. What do you mean you don't engage in social media that way? Well, what do you mean you don't have the news on at your house? And I'm not saying any one of these things are bad. But for every single person sitting in the room today, one of those things could be. Social media is one for me. I can't have it in my life because it absorbs me and it pulls me away from Christ. I'll sit there and I will scroll for hours and hours filling my head with all kinds of nonsense and all kinds of garbage and all kinds of things that are just absolutely ungodly. And then before I know it, my thoughts are wandering to places that they shouldn't wander. And then before I know it, I'm doing things that I know that I probably shouldn't be doing. And that's the effect this world has on us. So you might be able to deal with social media and be absolutely fine with it. Good for you. I can't. And we need to understand and we need to realize that the world that we live in and the culture that we live in will stain us, will mar us, and will pull us away from Jesus. And the desire of our heart should be that we are unstained by the world that we live in a way that is pure and holy and righteous before God. And that's something we're never going to perfect in this lifetime, and that's why we have the grace of God, and that's why Jesus came and died for our sins, so that we can be forgiven and healed and restored, and we can have that relationship with him. But at the same time, we should not look at the fact that we have been saved and redeemed and all of our sin has been forgiven as just a license to live however we want to live. Because the truth of the matter is, as you look in the scripture, and there are several times where Paul writes a long list of sins. And then at the end of it, he usually says something like, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I believe Paul when he wrote that. And I believe that when you see a person who is living their life exactly like the world does, and they are engaging in all kinds of sin and all kinds of pleasure and all kinds of lusts of the flesh that this world has to offer them, I look at that person and say, there's absolutely no way you can be saved. Not because we are saved by our works, not because we've got to earn our salvation, but because the gospel changes people. Salvation changes people. Salvation creates in us a new creation, And we now live a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on us. And you see this over and over and over and over again in Scripture. And so we need not fool ourselves. We should never reach the place in our Christian walk where we think, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, so how I live my life does not matter. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, be perfect because your God is perfect. We should be striving for holiness every single day of our lives. We should be striving for perfection every single moment of our lives. And in those moments when we know that we're going to fall short, we praise God and we thank him for his grace. But we never use his grace as a license to do whatever we want to do in the moment. We are broken and sinful people. And we have so many reasons to rejoice in what God has done for us. And for those who are truly saved, for those who are truly born again, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they will engage in this process. They will look into the perfect word of God and they will see the places they fall short. And out of a deep burning desire to please God, to love him and to honor him and to glorify him, they will seek their best to change what they can all the while kneeling before the Father, saying, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my lack of faith. Help me in my lack of strength. I don't have self-control. Please give it. I don't have wisdom. Please give it. And as they go through that process, not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word also, they will see change and transformation take place in their lives. But in order to do that, we have to meekly and humbly receive the word of God that has the power to save our souls. We have to come to this book humbly, understanding and believing that what I think doesn't always make the difference. That what I want to be true is not always true, but what God's word says is the standard for our lives. So what if I read something in the Bible that I don't like and I don't agree with? Tough because the Bible's true all the time. What if I read something in the Bible that's not socially acceptable and we've kind of moved on from that principle in our culture and we've kind of evolved past that? Culture's wrong. The Bible's right. When we start to think that way, we'll see transformation take place in our lives. But we've gotta come to the Bible with the understanding and the mindset that it's non-negotiable. God did not ask your opinion when he wrote his holy scripture. Thank God for that. But no, instead, he gave us what is good and what is true and what has the power to save us. He gave us the gospel. And as his followers, we should love it. We should cherish it. We should study it. We should peer into it as many times as we can throughout the day, asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to use this word to change in my life? Not because we're earning salvation. Because we love our Father and we want to look like Him. One of the coolest things about having kids is that your kids start to come up and they start to do things just the way you do. And it's one of those things that's kind of uncanny, but like me and my son are like two peas in the same pod. There have been so many times that we like walk into a room and I'll walk in and I'll say some observation I've had about something going on, I'll go on my way. And two minutes later, Nate walks behind me and he says the exact same thing. There have been times when him and I have been talking in the car and I'll be saying something like, have you ever thought about something this way? And he goes, all the time. And those moments are so cool and I cherish those moments. Why? Because my son looks like me and acts like me and thinks like me. And I hope and I pray that he has a mindset where he says, I want to do things like my dad. That's the affection that we should have for Jesus. Those of us who are saved should look at him and we should look at the Bible and we should say, wow, my life doesn't match up to the living word of God. And man, I want to look like Jesus because I love him so much. What can I do? How can I change? How can I be better? And when we come to the spirit, scripture with that kind of heart and that kind of intent the spirit shows up and does some pretty amazing things so this week look intently into the mirror that is the perfect word of god see the places that you fall short and then with the help of the spirit make strides to do better to be better so that your heart is changed and transformed So that you look beyond yourself to those who are in need around you. And you have a great burning desire in your heart to be unstained from the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the grace that you have given us. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that this gospel that you have given us is not just a good idea, but it is the power of God unto salvation. I thank you that your word sanctifies us. That as we look into your scripture, we see the places that we need to grow. And as we see those places, Lord, you are faithful. You give everything we need to do all that you have commanded. Thank you for not leaving us in our sin. Thank you for calling us to something better. And thank you for not giving up on us. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.